0: the american dream right it's like you, you spend your life working for your retirement God, what a of shit, man! i would tell young laurie to slow down and allow the season to do its work
1: don't say healthy don't say happy don't say well and don't say normal you show me one person on the planet who's healthy happy normal and well who is that person is there something good that can be gained quickly? I don't know. Guys, welcome back to the Ensons Podcast. Simon Blaine here in the studio today. Uh, having just gone through a cinematic event a decade in the making and... We're going to get to that. We're going to get to narrative theory, narratology, uh,
0: our own history. Someone out there shaking their head going, guys, can you just go see a movie? (laughs) Yeah, we can. Not very often. But- That's true.
1: At the beginning of this episode, I'm going to do a little plug for you for the first time ever and for the last time ever. Just going to say, hi, folks. (laughs) If you have never reviewed the Anson's podcast, would you mind doing that? And here's the reason. It doesn't help discovery, really. Apple doesn't talk about its algorithm, when and why it suggests a new podcast to someone. But it seems to be true that reviews don't help. So what do they do? Well, if you are a Yelp user like me, And you look up Taco Shop Abilene, and you scroll down, and there's, you know, Sharky's Taco, and it has 124 reviews. And then you scroll down, and you see Maria's Mexican, and it has 500 high reviews. You're going to go to Maria's Mexican because it creates the experience that you are missing out on a confirmed excellent restaurant. Similarly, we'd like to be Maria's. We want to be Maria's. And this is the only time we're going to ask for that because it's weird. (laughs) It it does feel weird, and we haven't done it on purpose. But just going, if you think the content is helpful and might help your peers, one thing that you actually could do right now to help it get in front of more people is to uh, confirm to the outside world that we here have a functioning thriving community of folks who are walking this journey of maturity out together and it's not that hard like if you're on if you use like me the uh, default Apple podcast the iTunes podcast app you just f- search for the podcast and scroll to the bottom and then it finally says ride review it's not that easy to find but it's findable boom starting today's conversation uh, this is a quote from a scholar whose name is Clarissa Estes, and she wrote an introduction to a new edition of Joseph Campbell's classic book on heroism, which besides being fundamentally wrong on some ideas of what a soul is and whether or not there's a psyche and stuff like that, is still a helpful book, especially if you're George Lucas. But this is, this is a fascinating observation on the need to engage long stories. She writes this. When stories are shortened to bites, all the most profound symbolic language and themes, and thereby the deeper meaning and nourishment, is left out. The too short or superficial story colludes in supporting a mad culture that insists human beings remain frazzled, ever on the run, rather than inviting them, by the telling of a compelling story, at some length to slow down, to know that it is alright to sit down, that it is good to take rest, and to listen with one's inner hearing to something that is energizing, engaging, instructive, and nourishing.
0: That sounds great. I don't know the last time I engaged a story like that. Well. And the point is, I don't know when I've got the time to sit down and engage a story like that. It's interesting, right, where the most popular media for
1: millennials and the most popular app on an iPhone is always going to be your news app, if you haven't deleted that. (laughs) And go, what that does is it gives you a constant stream of semi-stimulating
0: mini stories, flash fiction stories. Yeah, I was gonna guess YouTube actually, um, which is similar. To just it's slightly longer. I mean, I mean, like the average YouTube video is like five to seven minutes. Like it, it's it's a snapshot. It's a I will watch
1: it if it's longer than that.
0: Right? Yeah. I mean, you see those ones that are like twenty-three, and you're like,
1: I mean, it's not it's not a, it's not a date I, don't have,
0: I don't have popcorn. <laughs> Sorry, you gotta buy me dinner first.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. But on the other hand. We are having this conversation because we just engaged that type of story in the form of uh, the conclusion to the Infinity Arc, the Infinity Saga, in the Marvel Universe: Endgame.
0: Yeah, I, want, I think we're gonna do our best. No, there's
1: gonna be spoilers. Probably.
0: <laughs> I don't want to have to. I don't want to have to dance around. Govern things. myself
1: that much. Plus, by the time this comes out. The spoiler ban has been lifted.
0: Oh. Uh, it lifts on Monday. There's an actual ban? Yeah, there's a spoiler ban. Who who enforces? It I'd, 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 I don't does that, Captain America go and beat you up? I don't know
1: that it's enforced, but if you sort of uh, check uh, the mainstream news outlets, they're like tipping their hats to the Russo brothers' decade of work and going and ex- acknowledging their request to, for the first two weekends of the film, not ruin it for anybody.
0: Yeah. I mean, it worked. I didn't see it. For like a week, long, yeah, spoil. longer
1: than that. I I didn't I didn't use the internet for that long.
0: <laughs> well, now everybody can do that, plane. but yeah, right. We did just okay. We'll, we'll have spoilers in the uh, somewhere so you know about that. But um, ten years. I mean, that's a serious arc of a story. And when we think of the great like long stories, we typically think of trilogies. We typically think of um, the original Star Wars or. Uh, Lord of the Rings, and it does kind of feel like people want more, right? Like when I look at those stories, I go, yeah, those were like the great epics when I was a kid that we were waiting for and we'd watch. But even those, like they almost weren't long enough, right? Like they would come out with the director's cut. And I remember a friend of my mom was just constantly playing like the -the behind-the-scenes stuff for the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I mean, like how long is the actual like they we just want more. We want more and then you get obviously the the fact that Star Wars has grown from just being three movies to well nine soon in the actual arcs but there's the standalones of Rogue One and Solo and who knows. And they're saying they're going to take a little TV bit of break TV shows and because right Star Wars fatigue is a thing.
1: Right? Well, we're at this moment where we are uh, I don't know, teetering back and forth between satisfaction, ennui, and fatigue, where, on the one hand, you, sort of knowing the end, man, I'm I'm governing myself even though I've said there's going to be spoilers, you here, are. they're coming right now. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, stop this podcast, wait until it comes out on DVD, <laughs> and then Jeez. next year, come find this.
0: Knowing the end of a thing. We can all know that moment of like you, you've been enjoying a book or a book series and there's this there's this like tipping point moment, right? Or you, you begin to feel it in your stomach of, oh, if I can just, if I stop now, I'll, I know that there's going to be a few chapters ahead of me forever, but how can I possibly stop now? Like I need to. And then you finish it and then there's this like sense of disorientation and loss with the fact that you know what happens to these characters. You I know. know who's alive, who's not, you know, what choices they've made and not made. Like, there's no more mystery. And there's something really, like, that we need about that for the story to land. And I'm surprised at also, like, the emptiness that it brings.
1: I remember the day that I finished the Lord of the Rings trilogy for the first time, and I came up and I asked Dad, do you think he ever was going to write anymore? And Dad was kind enough to not tell me that Tolkien was dead. And therefore, big no. Instead he said, well, I'm back sure sounds like the end of an epic saga. And I was like, man, it does. Maybe he's got more in the works.
0: And maybe he does. But they won't be realizable on this side of eternity. <laughs> yeah, that longing. Um, and then, obviously, we're a family that loves story, as we've recorded podcastings in the past. Um, but for us, like stories are orienting right like they in the good and the bad they reveal things for us about like things that we want to have ways that reality is unfolding uh characteristics that we wish we had or ways to interpret our pain that we hadn't thought of before like it other stories are like these things that we keep holding up in front of us and we need them yes they're super super helpful and Sometimes they're not.
1: <laughs> That's right. And so we thought in this conversation it would be, you know, in addition to riffing, kind of interesting to go a layer deeper into what really is happening and what are some of the stakes. Because what do we do when I feel this simultaneous, uh, like the loss of, man, I've tracked with those heroes for so, I've tracked with that saga for so long. Like when I was working in Costa Rica, the only English film I had with me was Captain America. So I watched it like as a form of medication to go, they're all speaking English. Listen to all this English. Oh, my brain is finally like relaxing. And then, man, I remember the epic night when the first Avengers came out and Me and my buddy John going super late at night during finals week (laughs) to go see it. And yet there's this, if it were to keep going, there is a kind of sense of meaninglessness that I think many people actually question their capacity for eternity when they're faced with like kind of an eternal... Uh, story, an eternally expanding universe, and go, well, hang on, that's just a simple category mistake that maybe we can maybe we can address really quickly and go, <laughs> you realize that you are, one, as Lewis says, in, really brilliantly in a dialogue in Paralandra, what, what we're experiencing right now is the explorer stumbling before beginning his adventure. And first he regains his feet, and most of what we're experiencing in this dispensation is all creation regaining its feet, recovering from the introduction of evil, culminating in the elimination of evil, at which point we will be ready to begin our original destiny, which will include our uh, fully stepping up into who we were... The kind of creature we were meant to be, which is built for an eternal destiny. So you won't have a problem with eternity, everybody. Uh, You'll enjoy it.
0: But story. But there's a reason the stories work the way they do. I mean, think about the opening of this latest and, and final of the Infinity Arc. You've got Captain America at the help group, right? In that circle. And I- I had this moment where I'm like, yeah, we this is what, we don't come to movies to see this. I don't want to see the 5 years in between. I don't want to see your day-to-day. I know what day-to-day boring feels like. I got plenty of that. Get yes. back into something spectacular that is like clear and obvious and definable because you sitting around a help group about a tragedy isn't isn't how I want to spend my time.
1: Right. Our moment is definitely changing what story means and the and the function it's going to perform really quickly is you know brief overview some of the original drama theory comes from aristotle and he's the guy who writes that a story has a beginning a middle and an end and everyone goes duh but i go what if no one had said that there are lots of things that are going to be obvious that haven't been discovered yet. And I think it's, I mean, Aristotle is a notable genius in his ability to put boundaries on things. And films work that way. Films have a three-act structure. They have a beginning, middle, and end. That's from Aristotle. That sort of develops, fast forwarding all the way to the classic modernists. Funry O'Connor has my favorite definition of a story, where she calls it a complete dramatic event, where the action is constrained through the characters, and the characters are revealed through the action. That's from Mystery and Manners, a mandatory book for all writers. And that's, that's kind of partly true, right, where we don't really think that the action is entirely constrained through characters, because we are participants in an epic story, and whether or not we participate isn't going to inhibit that story. Which is what's like the Marvel universe, where that action isn't remotely constrained through what the Hulk can and can't do. The right, the universe is going to do its thing, and they can play their role or not. Right, but we have this other thing. There's sort of a a ranking scholar in the narrative narratology study of story field is a guy by the name I can't just I just forgot his name Brian Phillips I think. Ryan Richardson, University of Maryland, and he has this extended definition that's really interesting for talking about our experience of Marvel, story, and big universes. So he begins, he defines story this way, a story is a teleological sequence of events linked by some principle of causation, that is, the events are bound together in a trajectory that typically leads to some form of resolution or convergence. Maybe we can unpack that, but that's a, I don't know, both a very helpful and a very, 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 very loose definition. Uh, But then he points out here's what's valuable. Many narratives resist, elude, or reject plot. Especially here in the 20th century, narratives remain insistently fragmentary, open ended, contradictory, or defiantly plotless. And there are lots of kinds of plotlessness. Uh, There's a, New Yorker writer, Maya Phillips, who writes about Brian Richardson and narrative. And she points out that, like The Simpsons and Law and Order, utilize smaller, loosely connected narratives to allow for the maintenance of a comforting, predictable stasis overall. And then extended novels like Proust's In Search of Lost Time allow a single narrative to emerge out of nonlinearity in an effort to produce a more accurate representation of thought and memory. So what we kind of have in our experience of these huge universes and in Star Wars fatigue is uh, loosely connected narratives that slowly develop. The Simpsons is, is a great example where there's, there are sometimes the characters might get slightly older or sometimes something is happening in the background, like part of the neighborhood is demolished. But... It doesn't matter because what there really is in this world is stasis. And as soon as that happens, I check out. I go, it's the Star Wars, not Star Wars, it's the Star Trek phenomenon where if you never kill a main character, eventually your only audience are going to be diehard fans who like the experience of watching the universe, but liking the experience is a narrow appetite, whereas... Everybody loves a really good story. Therefore, like the appeal of a movie like Logan is actually wider because it's a narrow, beginning, middle, end story that you don't need to know the rest of what happened in the Marvel Universe to enjoy it. Therefore, you don't have to be someone who likes the Marvel Universe to like the movie. It's interesting.
0: Okay. is good. Big words are good. Defining why things are is worthwhile. But... Bring this back to why why it matters to be defining story like that, and to, why does it matter to separate two kinds of story from the things that aren't changing to the things that are? Like what it, what draws your eye to that? Why is that a, a thing?
1: Well, go with me to a book that's actually about healing, Agnes Sanford's famous Christian book on healing prayer, and. She has a really interesting observation in arranging your life in view of the realities of God. And she writes this, if we turn on an electric iron and it doesn't work, we look to the wiring of the iron, the cord, the house. We do not stand in dismay before the iron and cry, electricity, please come into my iron and make it work. Why I think that's fitting here, because she goes on to talk about what are you doing that actually aligns yourself, like to take advantage of what's available for you in God. Mm. I think one thing that gets in the way, both of our enjoyment of God and of our ability to engage our own story is not having like really good story myth architecture to go, you know, a story isn't supposed to teach a lesson. A story tells you about the nature of reality. We've told, we've talked about that before. And to go, like a hero, I love words that are so ancient they just vanish into a, into deep time where we don't know the beginning of hero. It's sort of um, it's projected or proposed that it actually ends up meaning a defender or protection, and it has to do with the feeling. That you get when you're around a particular kind of person, like, and it can even be you know, when you're like bored at a party, and then, like a person comes in who's really relationally rooted, and you just feel better and you go, that's actually a part of heroism. So coming back, coming back, 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 out of theory, into if we need to look at what story is doing in our moment, uh, to be intentional about ways that, Like our hearts can be sustained through good story and then also be kind of watch out for like uh, inclinations of story that are eroding our connection with reality. So when you see Iron Man work through this film's long trajectory of sacrifice Deeply foreshadowed in the first Avengers film when he has to take the nuclear missile up into space and he knows it's a one way ticket, but then he ends up surviving. But you go, Whoa, that actually, that courage sacrifice, that's telling you something about Hero, which I'm like, Yes. But then when it comes to the Marvel stories just being news from another universe, go, Yeah, what it, kind of it's just meanwhile in the Marvel universe, this is happening to go. Uh, in the sort of in the way of our opening quote, lots of just soundbite films can actually erode like our ability to identify the meaningful dimensions of story, which have to have things like a beginning, a middle, and an end, and a significant resolution, and a depiction of a real hero. Mm. So
0: I realize I come to story with a couple of different expectations. Um, there are some movies I see... Just like our conversation we actually had well, recently, just just to have that space of I want to be entertained. I want to I want to watch Spider Man into the Spider Verse and not like I don't ha- or I don't come in with a connection to these characters already. I don't have an expectation. I I really do. Okay, I do have an expectation. I expect the good guys to win and for them to make me care why. But otherwise. Like I'm not going to walk out of there being uh, changed and I want to be Miles Morales now. Um, I can recognize that different stories affect different people because we were at a boot camp recently and somebody did point out to that film as a person they wanted to be. And it's like, well, okay, there are different stories that are going to affect people differently. But I end up hanging like the heavier things on what I perceive to be the sturdier hooks. Hmm. <laughs> and I I think that's from learning that some of those things that look sturdy aren't always. And so, like, Tony Stark has not been an awesome character the whole time. Right. And they've liked the fact that he's a billionaire billionaire playboy philanthropist. Genius. genius. Whatever, whatever it is he says. I mean... He finishes this arc and he has like <laughs> what everybody sort of knows is good. You have like a cabin by a lake with one woman who you've actually been in love with this whole time and your daughter. And it's like, yeah, that's... Boom. That Everybody goes, oh, look what he's finally got now that he's had like the naked models running around his mansion on the seaside. And you look at it and you're like, oh, that'd be kind of fun. But ultimately, like, do we want to wind up like that?
1: Isn't it interesting too that... The Marvel heroes that do retire kind of choose these rural, maybe it's because it's an American story, Well, like yeah. go Hawkeye, you see him on his ranch, and then you go and see Iron Man on his lake house and go, did anybody retire in like a lame apartment in the city? <laughs> 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 but you know, oh, no. so Iron Man, great example. Talking about our like contemporary inclinations of story. One thing, you, know, you want to know one thing that bothered me? Is what's with the absence of mentors? If we want to talk about things that are key to story, why is the playing field between the heroes so level? Mm. They're all. It's all about
0: figuring it out with your peers. Uh, well, we did have a conversation about this a while ago of like what the stories we're telling reveals, and there's been some interesting articles written on how the threats of the Marvel movies have tried to accurately reflect the current fear of that year or a couple of years because it's been pretty fast like there's been a movie a year almost if not more than um so yeah our fears definitely progress pretty quickly as a culture but yeah right like the fact that find a father figure in most of those people's lives find a mentor find someone that's going ahead of them they're kind of just butting heads into each other trying to figure out like who's strong and what is the moral compass and 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 the
1: more the lesson is the you know the fact that you perceive about reality is yep you just figure it out and i go whoa that's interesting and problematic because as i talked about when i was just learning some basic carpentry and building a shed We are meant to exercise the muscle that is reaching out for the Father, and fatherhood is core to the nature of reality in the Trinity. It wasn't like, Father, Father me by me miraculously figuring out the right way to get these fasteners in. It was, Father, Father me by me making the choice to call a builder or ask a question of a sales associate at Home Depot and just go, you know, hold up two different hinges and go, I'm hanging a door. It's on a shed. It weighs this much. What do I need? And actually it provides an opportunity for fathering a reality of the universe to like (laughs) come into my story. And when the stories are telling you, yeah, don't do, I mean, that's not there. That is, if that isn't revelatory of an orphaned
0: era yeah no it's totally there and I think I think that the writers are also trying to fight that a little bit and that Stark does have his relationship with his dad sort of I mean there's like the element that ends up saving his life that his father like designed into the amusement park back in like Iron Man 2 or something yeah. like that um, there's the arc of Loki and Thor's relationship with Odin and like him being this kind of warring person to this sort of gentler pixie dust on the cliffside there um, like those things are kind of they are kind of going on and also they're not there and we're totally aware of it. The emotion that we had as we like left the theater was mixed right because you have different characters that are I, in my experience fulfilling different roles of story for me. Somebody mm. like Captain America or Iron Man actually do have these long, arcs of development and loss and sacrifice and a moral compass that some of the other characters are more of like the summer flick type, let me just go watch Spider-Man take down a, like a flying hawk person. And then you try to like- A la- vulture person. Yeah, right. You like layer them in on top of each other and you kind of go like, oh, you have you've been using different definitions of epic- for the same characters in the same universe and now you're going to like smash them all on top of each other. I mean you had freaking Doctor Strange who's like fighting off the darkest being in the known universe who's going to consume all and he just sort of like shoes him away by sticking him in a time loop and then you're like okay and then he's like worried about aliens now? Like I, these don't seem to be the same size <laughs> and so for me like I have this experience of, of kind of that similar loss of, yeah, I've been tracking these characters and I'm glad that they've been brought into a landing because I do need a landing, but not all of them landed, not all of them died or aged out or flew off overweight into space. Um, Some of them have future movies and I found myself going like, I don't care about Peter Parker flying around Big Ben fighting some other small-scale monster. You can't tell me this is like the most ultimate fight ever of all time we've been building towards. And now it's done. And guess what? This summer, we've got what Spider-Man's up to now. And I'm like, oh, This is why I don't care what Spider-Man's up to now. Right? It's interesting. I think this is why I actually
1: like the one-off. Star Wars films that take place in the old universe. There's something there's something true about a mythological universe that you can always go into it and tell another story. But for me, you can't interfere with the universe's beginning, middle, end. And right. so you can always go tell another story about Thor inside Norse mythology. But you can't mess with like beginning war with the giants final Ragnarok, and then actually this other thing where there's like a rebirth of the gods and then some forecast of the eternity that you don't write about. Because if you get into that, you create this ennui feeling. You go, oh, wait, it's just circles? And go, no, no. It has a beginning, middle end, and you can go in. And so the Star Wars ones that are like, but what's happening now in the universe? I'm like, I don't care. I like the part you're telling me about reality, which is... Creation, fall, battle, restoration, and then some eschatological future. Right. Go, Don't try to tell me that. Like, what, that's why I don't like what Peter Parker's doing now. I go, it's <laughs> after the frickin' Infinity Saga. Go back. You can go into the Infinity so, Saga right. and tell me
0: a story. Because you're a geek and you would like to know more about that thing, like the Star Trek analogy you made earlier. There is a type of person that, like, yeah, give me more inside that world, though I know its trajectory isn't really going to change. Like, if they came out with a new Thor movie that happened just as, like, an adventure, that would be, like, my first category of, oh, this isn't changing the trajectory of things. The beginning, middle, end hasn't really changed. This is somewhere in the middle. I know he's going to be okay. It's going to be like a nice little micro arc. I'm not worried. Like I'm going into it for a certain reason. But you get in these things where you're like, well, now we're going to change the end. And the end wasn't really the end. The end was the end for some of us. And you kind of sort of have this reaction of, oh, like what the heck? So as a different train of thought, I was watching this film by a contemporary of Hayao Miyazaki, and so it's animated style. And I found myself as I was watching it, and the plot's progressing and things are happening, I was blown away because everything actually fit. Like the characters are being true to themselves, and the arc was being true to the arc, so I wouldn't have necessarily wanted things to go the way they did. And there's a sacrifice, there's growth, and then it ends. And I had this moment where I'm like, I am satisfied with this story. Mm. I didn't want more. I didn't want it to change. It didn't have these sort of, eh, if you squint sideways, it still kind of works feel that sometimes some of the Avengers movies do have. Where you're like, okay, everything went terribly. But then we made a time machine. And you're like, What did you say that out loud just now? I'm sorry. That feels like kind of a... God card and not totally consistent, but sure, fine, okay, we want we want to see how this goes. And to watch like a different story that was whole and true and and concise was like it still informed me. Like it still made me remember what like a life is for and what goodness looks like and left me satisfied and rested in the way that the Was it It Was one of the other quotes earlier on, and like that was I found myself going, I have no problems with this movie, and that's kind of an amazing thing to say right now. I don't actually get to say that that often.
1: Yes, there's returning to Logan. I think it's James Mangold, who is the screenwriter. I'm going to go with yes because he's also the screenwriter of the new 310 to Yuma and a number of others. I really like him, and he has this observation about superhero movies where he goes. We're making them to sell action figures to the diehard fans, not to tell great stories. The problem is you can't tell a great story in one film, and even though you occasionally get these great trilogies and sagas, if you just keep doing that, you really, really run the risk of undercutting some of the core needs and dimension of story. And he goes, wouldn't it be more interesting to have nine different screenwriters create nine completely different versions of Batman in nine different worlds. But he goes, no, we have to have one canonical Batman who does the things that he does for the Justice League so that when he shows up in his suit, you recognize him, and the actor's the same, so he looks like the guy in your poster. And I go, I get you, man. I would love more stories rather than being like, there are three stories you're ever gonna to be told. One is the Marvel Cinematic Universe story, and we'll give you news from it. One is the Star Wars story, and we'll give you news from it. And kind of go, ooh, I. There's more to be done. And buddy of mine, looking at you, Ant Man, is just devoted to somebody making like a an original style, a pre-Ice Man. Batman, who's just a great detective in a seedy underworld, who gets reduced to solving a crime against a person, and go, that would be a fascinating, awesome story, and we're never going to see it, because unfortunately, Batman right now is no longer Ben Affleck, but it's going to be somebody else
0: who's going to work with Aquaman. Did you see Batman Batman was a samurai there for a little bit? (laughs) I mean, you know, these things do happen. Uh, And those are awesome, (laughs) and-
1: I, I knew you loved Bane in that. You can, yeah, all I think about these four seconds.
0: Yeah, it was just ridiculous.
1: Thinking about this conversation, where I naturally went, is uh, one of my favorite Faulkner quotes, and it comes from his Nobel Nobel, Nobel Prize acceptance speech all the way back in 1950. And it's, it's fascinating, and it's long, and I'm going to read you the whole thing, because He writes with so much precision uh, and describes our danger and our need in the way we engage story. He writes Our tragedy today is a general and universal physical fear, so long sustained by now that we can actually bear it. There are no longer problems of the spirit. There is only one question when will I be blown up? Because of this, The young man or woman writing today has forgotten the problems of the human heart and conflict with itself, which alone can make good writing, because that is the only thing worth writing about, worth the agony and sweat. The writer must learn them again. He must teach himself that the basest of all things is to be afraid, and teaching himself that, forget fear forever. Forever leaving no room in his workshop for anything but the old verities and truths of the heart, the old universal truths lacking which any story is ephemeral and doomed. Love, honor, pity, pride, compassion, sacrifice. Until he does so, he labors under a curse. He writes not of love but of lust, of defeats where nobody loses anything of value. Of victories without hope, and worst of all, without pity or compassion. His griefs grieve no universal bones, leaving no scars. He writes not of the heart, but of the glands. Until the writer relearns these things, he will write as though he stood among and watched the end of man. I decline to accept the end of man. It is easy enough to say that humankind is immortal simply because we'll endure. That when the last ding-dong of doom has clanged and faded from the last worthless rock hanging tideless in the last red and dying evening, that even then there will still be one more sound, that of his puny, inexhaustible voice still talking. I refuse to accept this. I believe that man will not merely endure, will prevail. We are immortal not because we alone among creatures have an inexhaustible voice, but because we have a soul, a spirit capable of compassion and sacrifice and endurance. The poet's, the writer's duty is to write about these things, It is our privilege to help us endure by lifting human's heart, by reminding us of the courage and honor and hope and pride and compassion and pity and sacrifice which have been the glory of our past. The poet's voice need not merely be the record of humankind. It can be one of the props, the pillars, to help us prevail.
0: Hooey! right? I mean, I hope he wrote that down and didn't just, like, spoken word that. No, he, (laughs) you imagine if he just did that sort of ad hoc.
1: But no, to go, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about these things in the spirit that are for an eternal destiny. And that's one of the things that Faulkner identifies that makes him right. that makes that speech so powerful, is to go, oh, you get that... We, in the story God is telling, are made for this eternal destiny that we are partnering with God and reaching towards, and that what we're meant to do in story is spur the human heart on, call it back to reality. And without that, without this deep understanding of what he calls eternal realities, love, honor, pity, pride, compassion, sacrifice, without those things, we're not telling good story. And we're not helping anyone towards anything.
0: Yeah. That is really a good charge. Um, and I think a lot of stories these days wouldn't uh, pass that criteria, right? It's, otherwise, he wouldn't have been giving it. We wouldn't have been all riled up about it. It's
1: 1950, man. So.
0: <laughs> oh,
1: no. I, I mean, I've got some great news for him. <clears throat> I don't know. Yeah. The interesting thing is, I don't know that we've slid so much as we've just proliferated. Like, We might not be worse, but there are definitely more bad stories than ever before. And the charge remains the same. Understand the human heart. Understand epic. Look at the mythology of your age for both what it's offering you and what it lacks, and then work to get it and work to provide it to your community and peers. I mean, this has like this this conversation starter among friends that goes past did you like Endgame into what's with the complete absence of mentors? I refuse to accept a heroism that isn't the son receiving
0: from the father. You touched on this earlier, Blaine. I'm aware that it's a place I don't like looking at too directly um, because as we've named... Over and over again today, good stories have this arc to them. A good story of a character, of a person, of a, of a group of people. It doesn't really matter. And it can be long and over time. And those tend to draw us in more with like the little asterisk for a while. Like you have us for a, a time. If they were making Iron Man 5, eh, it's just—it's not going to do as well. When you're making the next Batman thing. It's just not going to do as well because you haven't created this arc. Um, and you did also touch on this as well with the eternity piece, but there is a huge part of me, and I know many people, because I've had lots of conversations and heard lots of people express this, of like, the Christian story is currently an arc, and it does feel like the way we read it that you get to the return of Christ and it's kind of the end and story has finished. We all go into the sky, into heaven as sort of like this, we don't really have words for it. We're going to try. And lots of people, obviously our father included do try to stretch out the imagination there and to go like the story will just be beginning. C.S. Lewis is like, we're going to be further up and further in every, everything up to that point had been, but the intro in the first page. And you're like, I need that because if that isn't true, then the Christian story actually kind of sucks with its end. Right. Because I understand why people reduce it to just your own life because the the end is the end is like a a thing in the sky. There's no more drama. The Christian story doesn't just suck because of all of the other amazing things like that, I use that phrase because it finishes and then the drama, the, the test, the arcs are all done. And for someone that loves story and someone that loves arc and someone that loves development, that sure seems pretty anti-tove. That seems pretty anti everything else that's been going on. We then reach this place where it's like you're back in the shire, but you're not even really back in the shire because more can happen in the shire than can happen in what you just told me. Like that, I find myself needing to reawaken my own imagination for the potential of more arcs that are more meaningful than have happened yet at what I think might be the ending but actually isn't if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it's the the tension between uh, you know our finite moment and the fact that we are eternal creatures, but it's a really good one especially with end game to go, the world kind of gives you two options and I think it's actually aware of two realities. and one option is things end. Work through that. come to a stoic recognition of finite And the other one is, no, it doesn't. The heroism, of these characters lives on in the next generation of superheroes. So Like, the other one goes infinity. And neither one is actually satisfying. What we need is instead what, I'll, what I just call the concept of destiny, that the world is very much for something, and we will be in a deeply satisfying and engaging way moving towards that and go... God did not create the world for the fall. Did he create it with like a brilliant idea in mind that our hearts are engineered for? Yes. And so I'm I'm sensing a whole other podcast at some point that's on like frames to actually help you look forward to eternity. But just, we can just say in a nutshell here, when we're talking about the end of a story, given that you are designed for the story you are living in and you know that is infinite, you can rest assured that you will enjoy it. And Isaiah, when it says, and to the increase of his government and his peace, there will be no end. You go, wait a minute. So, no. you're saying something happens. That it's not this single chord played on an organ. right? Like the glorious, oh, and y'all just happens to go on forever. But it goes, no, 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 no. The kingdom of God is doing something you will participate in and finally realize that you're being freed into the activity you were built for. Right. That'll be a satisfying beginning.
0: Right. Like back to end game, I had a much more like chills running through me, pumped moment when all of the, armies arrive on the battlefield behind Steve Rogers and you're like, oh my gosh, he's all alone, he's gonna face this down and then there's just like this, the music is coming, the doors are opening and like all these people are walking forth and you're like, oh hell yeah, like this is awesome and like I had, that moment for me was much more kingdom than the conclusion of Steve Rogers' life where he's like passing on the shields to yes, the next guy I was like I don't care about the next guy and then it's like oh no like <laughs> it wasn't like I just no you are you and too much of this universe was hanging on you but I liked your connection to the rest of the universe and as soon as you go don't worry the story of Captain America will live on somebody else is now Captain America I'm like no Captain America isn't big enough to hang this on and yes just a, a name that gets passed from person to person I'm like ah I don't care about that.
1: There is a satisfaction to his story, but the moment of him tightening the shield on his wrist yeah. is far more revelatory of what we call the end than is the passing of the baton. Right. And go, oh, no, no, no. It like That is an analogy for the kind of thing... It, you know, a great ending is. But him doubling down on his identity and role would actually be like, stop, boom. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about the conclusion of the epic. And then it really begins. And I'll say that again and again, because you sort of trace this thread across, not just Lewis, but against the tradition of saints that goes, pay attention buddy Paul the Apostle goes everything is being held back held back until at the right time we'll all be unleashed into the glorious times ahead and go wait 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 everything is being restrained until there's like the starting gate is opened and then there's discovery that's an ending worth orienting yourself to